Hello, listeners. Welcome to PR Hangover. I'm Emma Nelson, and you're listening to a public relations podcast brought to you by Grand Valley State University's PRSSA chapter. Grab a cup of coffee, relax, and get ready to talk all things PR. Hi, listeners. We are going to be starting a new segment of PR Hangover, where we talk to each e-board member from GVPRSSA and Grand PR, our student-run PR firm. Listen to each episode to hear from a new member and insights on their position. Hello, listeners. Welcome to PR Hangover. Today, we have a very, very special guest, not only the president, but, but as we like to call her, the queen of PRSSA, Miss Allison. Welcome to PR Hangover. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're so excited to have you talk about your e-board position and just give us a little inside scoop on what you do here at PRSSA. Heck yeah. So where do I start? So if you want to start off and just give us a little introduction about yourself. Okay. Um, I am Allison Cantor. I am the chapter president of GVPRSSA. I am a senior in the Advertising and Public Relations program, and I have a minor in political science. I'm also um, a self-proclaimed Swifty, so those are all the important facts about me. <laughs> me as well, Allison. Me as well. So nice to have a fellow Swifty on the podcast. Taylor, if you're listening, we love folklore. Hello. We love you. Great album. Yes. Okay. Um, thank you for that. So... <laughs> Allison, tell us the tasks of the position of president. Yeah, so um, being president is like being a master project manager. You really have to look for all the signals and make sure that everything's going as planned. I think on paper it sounds like a really easy job, but it's a lot to wrap your head around because you're project managing like eight people. So it does get a little little overwhelming at times, but I really do enjoy it. So it's a lot of kind of, I kind of describe it as like putting yourself in eight different people's position to figure out what you would do if you were in that position and then assigning as such. So it's a lot of, like I said, project managing, leading meetings, of course. Um, Hopefully the next president will get to be in person and get to, you know, lead meetings and be in prep school, but in the meantime, PRSA Reimagined is a great filler for that. Um, But yeah, so it's a lot of communicating and relationship building and project managing. And yeah, I feel like I send out 300 emails every day, but it's a rewarding job for sure. What would you say the most rewarding part is? I think when people stop coming to you for things and you see that they're just doing things on their own and it turns out really really good it's a really rewarding feeling because obviously like I want people to talk to me all day but that's more of like a personal thing Uh, but like I don't know it's really like a great feeling when your e-board functions by themselves because they're surrounded by like good leaders and like obviously like beyond me like everyone on my e-board is a really great leader and they're very like self-sufficient and they all boost each other up so when you see that happen and you see a dynamic work out I think that's like probably the most rewarding part obviously you're really involved in PRSSA I mean Miss President and from what it sounds like you have a lot of pride about being a PR student 
Um, so what would you say your favorite either PRSSA or Grand PR memory is? I think my favorite PRSSA memory was... Okay, so at the very end of last semester, we had a meeting that was this year's eboard and last year's eboard together and the meeting ended and we stayed on for like an hour just talking and I feel like stuff like that really like makes me happy because like you work together but you're also friends so I just feel like that's all like I feel like I probably should say create-a-thon or something which is a great memory but definitely just the low-key things that you don't have to try for are always my favorite to close, what is some of your advice for Ad and PR students at Grand Valley? I think my advice to Ad and PR students at Grand Valley is to always get involved and get involved like literally yesterday. Um, there are so many opportunities in the Ad PR program, regardless of what you want to do and what your emphasis is. And I think they're both very flexible. Um, there's just so many opportunities. And I think the faculty is so willing to work with students and make sure that they grow. So I think there's a thousand opportunities that are given out to add PR students. Take at least three of them. Um, because I think when you do, you can definitely see growth in yourself from your first class sophomore year to when you graduate. It's definitely apparent. And I think our program is very unique and does a great job. So definitely get involved whenever you can and do everything you can. Yeah, especially because we have so many opportunities, too, that you basically don't have an excuse. So Right, exactly. Build that resume. Allison, thank you so much for joining us on PR Hangover. I appreciate all of your insight and memories and experiences. And just thank you for joining me. Yeah, anytime. Anytime. Yay, lovely. Yay. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome to PR Hangover. Today, our guest is Mr. Marvis Herring. Hello. So if you would like to give us a little introduction of yourself or just a little welcome. Yes, and I'm so, I'm so excited to be here talking about public relations today. My name is Marvis. It is with an S. Everybody always messes that up because they think that I've spelled my name wrong, but it is Marvis. I tell some people they can call me Marvelous because they seem to never get it right until I say that, but it's okay. Um, but I am the weekend morning news anchor at WLKY News, which is a CBS affiliate in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I report general assignment three days a week and also a Grand Valley University, Grand Valley State University, let me know my college, graduate of the class of 2013. Yay, a anchor up, Lakers for Lifetimes, welcome yes. back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like to just, we'll just dive right in and give us um, from your experience, the differences and similarities that you've seen between journalism and PR. Okay, this is actually something I have become more and more interested in, specifically to try to be a better journalist, but also just to kind of understand, to find stories. So I think in general, there are a lot of both really there. Specifically, I'll start with the similarities. I mean, they're both in communication. Um, you're sharing information with the public, I mean, public relations. Um, and you are also forming that relation. There are viewers all the time that write me like, 
when I left Michigan, West Michigan, for my last job, people were like, oh, I'm losing my friend. I woke up with you every day. Like, you are kind of building that relation just as you would really with public relations. But I think that there also are, in both of them, different areas of expertise. Like, in you have politics and news. You have, you know, crisis management and public relations where maybe somebody's more on the um, community outreach side of that. So I think they both have a lot of similarities in that that focus, but it's funny because I had some crazy PR nightmares over the last week while setting up stories. So there definitely is a difference, I think, between PR and news. And honestly, the fact that that was your first question, I was like, let's get that out the way. Let's clear the air that, you know, if you're the PR person, unfortunately, you're not or maybe not, unfortunately, but you're not the reporter. So I think public relations in general, you have a motive, right? You have a goal of bringing in more customers or making people see you in a certain light or letting starting a fundraiser or, again, spreading information um, may be the goal sometimes. But in, in general, there is a motive and it's not always to inform. It may be to also kind of sway the viewer to try your products, go to your store, um, get ahead of a crisis. I mean, there's public relations in government, things like that, where news, I think, it should be more focused. It should be, or it shouldn't necessarily isn't more focused on one job. News is more of a constant. You're questioning the public relations information that you're getting. You're comparing um, maybe some documents as well where, you know, you may be working with statistics and numbers to sway people's opinion. But in news, as it should operate, obviously that is a big topic of debate right now is fake news. And of course, the mainstream media did this or that. But I think that in general, you should be just presenting the facts um, to inform, to alert, to, um, you know, just inform in general is mainly the main main goal there. So when I go to a story, a lot of times public relations, people are like, oh, you should shoot the camera this way. And like, maybe it's like, no, you know, we know what's the best shot or, you know, you should talk to her. And, you know, if I'm going to a house fire, the public relations people from police may want to give me some information, public information officer about we had a three story house fire that came in around 11 o'clock. Um, and they may say, you know, officers got here right away. They've been working around the clock. It's not my job to necessarily regurgitate that information specifically in an emergency. Some of it is informational, but working around the clock still has a PR term to it of like, maybe I go interview a a mother whose four kids were trapped inside of there because the fire department took six hours to get there or something like that, or, you know, whatever it is. So I think in that sense, no matter what, news and public relations have some differences that make them what they are. So um, they're not always, you know, some story may not come out exactly how you want. I mean, recently I had a story at a school in town and I was questioning some of the information I was getting. And so honestly, in that sense, I feel like in news, you need to make sure you're trying to be ob objective as possible because you all have our biases, um, but you're trying not to show those in your reporting. You sound very passionate about that and lots of good information. So did you know that you wanted to go into journalism right away or how was that path? The path to journalism, I guess for me in college, I had always thought about um, journalism. Orig originally, I had always thought about broadcasting in general. My initial goal was to host game shows. I thought that's what I wanted to do. I want to say, come on down on Price is Right or, you know, be the next person doing Deal or No Deal. Who knows? But 
then I, I've always loved writing. I've always loved people. That was the other thing I was going to say both of these have in common is they're pretty people centered. I mean, you don't have a story without it affecting a person and you, you don't have a customer without, you know, people. So I think for me, when I got to college, I was like, oh, new territory. I'm going to be international business. I'm going to fly around the world. And I always, you know, had a knack for management and business, but my true passion really was communications. And I think that once I did some internships and I recommend that for any job you're going in and got to do two different stations, different shifts, seeing all the jobs, I was like, you know, this is something that I want to do. I mean, lots of people warned me, like, you don't get paid a lot. The hours are atrocious. People will call you fake news and comment on how you look. But for me, it's just more of bringing that voice. And I definitely felt an avoid when it comes to minorities and news and also again challenging stuff and thinking from a black male perspective before reporting news and um thinking of biases in our newscast for me it kind of was just like it called out to me and then once i was in it there was no turning back as far as like i just was excited i wanted to do more and more and more and then i took time i'm like oh it's been you know five plus years and I love what I do. You know, it makes up, takes up probably the most of my time in any given week. So for me, it wasn't like I was like three years old practicing on a desk and saying, I'm going to do this. But I'm like thinking back to it. I was always reading the announcements in the broadcasting club and things like that. But it kind of just was like college is for. I kind of just explored my options and I knew the school of communications. I looked at public relations stuff as well, but I thought more storytelling and every day can be different. And that challenge of at the end of the day, I need to have a story put together before the news starts. So um, I kind of liked that challenge as well. And you mentioned a lot of getting like criticism and feedback from the public. How do you deal with that? I guess both professionally and personally for me, it goes back and forth. A, I know it's my job, but um, I sometimes have a different perspective of like, sometimes it's an opportunity to educate. Like there are people who often are, you know, so hypercritical with the social media and really with news, you're getting immediate journalism. You're almost getting immediate feedback from every type of person, from the person who, you know, recently yesterday, my friend in Chicago posted a nasty email that she got. And, you know, that's, it was inappropriate in every way. People didn't like that she was wearing her hair naturally, but she didn't even really respond in a nasty way. She just took it in stride where there are times where people have called people out, even past coworkers when I worked in Grand Rapids. There are people who sent stuff to the newsroom like, this person is this and she is this. And I responded to those emails. It had nothing to do with me. But I'm like, did you really think that this was appropriate or necessary? And what was your actual goal? You know, actually challenging somebody and that's probably just trying to be mean at the end of the day. Um, there's oftentimes people who don't like the glasses. You know, there are people who it's like, I need these to actually see. Even on Facebook Live, oftentimes I'm at, with the ongoing protests in Louisville, I'm at a, a scene of protesters and police and there's tear gas and there's all kinds of things happening. And I'm trying to make sure I have my bearings, I'm being safe. And people are like, look at Steve Urkel. And, you know, that's not the time to really necessarily for me address that immediately. But I think what goes really hand in hand with that feedback is a always being open. Please know even I can get some mean emails about how I pronounced something or how I said something or maybe even what story I did for the day. And I will take a moment to think about it like, you know, 
was, does this person really have any? And instead of letting it take hold to be like, absolutely not, I'm going to cut this off and stop, you know, beating myself up. But also, you know, maybe next time I will try to ask a few more females for this story. Like it was kind of male heavy or whatever it may be. Um, but I feel like as far as the criticism that's unnecessary in news, you get a lot of constructive criticism from looks to enunciation to inflection, you know, to makeup. I mean, you don't learn makeup in college. You just learn it on the fly kind of. And so I think for those, I just have to take self-care on my days off too of, you know, there's a time to unplug. There's a way I like working out. I like dancing. I like music. I need to make sure that I'm making time for those so that, you know, you're not actually holding on to too much. But I've always been like, you know, if there's something on my face, tell me or something like that. But the other little small things here and there, obviously, it's a very political, politically charged time right now. So, I mean, if I do read a Democratic um, story or a Democrat story, the next story, was there any sort of Republican story we can put in there so that we're balanced and making sure we're not, you know, pissing off anybody, basically, and make you're going to make some people mad, but if, you know, unbalanced is unbalanced. And so I do take those criticisms, even sometimes when they're hidden within a very nasty email, it's like sometimes people maybe had a point they went around about the wrong way of addressing it. So usually, usually though, I just delete the, delete the comment. And honestly, to a point where I'm not really blocking people anymore. There are people that I've blocked because they've been inappropriate, especially right now with the whole protest and coronavirus and people who think that, you know, WLKY News started the coronavirus as a ploy to get Donald Trump out of the, the White House. It's like, this has not happened. But those ones I don't really have to do. And then there are some people who just like heckling in general. Um, and sometimes I go back and forth. Sometimes I have some extra time on my hands in between a story. And, you know, usually I'll just comment, thanks for watching. You're the one of the ugliest people I've ever... Thank you so much for watching. No, why are you responding to that? Thank you for watching. And, like, I'll post those all the time on my social media, and people are like, oh, my gosh. And it's like, thanks for watching. I don't have anything else to say to you. And so those things are just kind of, like, off my back of, like, you're a pretty strong person, but even the strongest people, you know, are sometimes, I guess, affected by those. But for me... Typically, instead of getting upset, I try to do a no offense mentality at work of like, even though somebody says, hey, and they look at me like that, it's like, oh, maybe they were just trying to talk loud. You know, I'm not going to say they were trying to be mean. And when you kind of approach it that way, it kind of helped me a lot in my beginning years with some of those nasty emails or tweets. I mean, people are tweeting. A lot of times I just mute them. So it's like, you can tweet till the cows come home and I haven't seen any of these. And that way I'm not blocking you. You have your freedom of speech, but like, there's a line. There's just a line. So obviously you talked a lot about like the public and their opinion. What about just as a young professional in general, when you went into the workplace and left school behind and were really like doing your job, what were things that you had to not learn the hard way, but things where like those above you were like, hey, this is how you do it. Like what were some of those lessons that you learned just growing up, I guess? In my field, I know a lot of it is, you know, on the job. You know, you have to get into a job before you know that 
um, how to knock on doors, you know, like, you know, before you get into calling police, like, you know, you hear something on the scanners, you know, two people shot. I mean, you can call immediately, but you may want to wait 25, 30 seconds because the dispatchers are going to literally annihilate you. And so those are kind of some of the things. But in general, I think college prepares you for what it can prepare you for. And once I realized that I am still every day learning um, today, I had to use prompt my own teleprompter for the three hour show while looking like I'm not trying to move this dial up and down. And I haven't done that since like my first job. So it's like, you know, this is even another way. Maybe if I said it this way and I look down, I won't look as much. There's little little things of just being on camera. But in general, I feel like in the news realm, some of the things that I had to learn the hard way, I think, include being prepared for any and everything. I mean, here we are in a pandemic, months into it. We have an election coming up. We have Breonna Taylor protesters um, protesting. We have what we're calling counter-protesters, which to me, they're all protesters because they're protesting something. But we have protesters coming, pushing, you know, the far right. We have protesters coming that are armed. And I'm over there doing a live shot in the middle of all of it. And so really one of the other things is just that I definitely knew, but I keep in mind is empathy. I mean, I'm typically meeting people at the very worst day on their of their life. Or the very best or what may soon be the very worst. And so, you know, I have lost my dad at a long or at a young age. And so for me, I'm thinking, you know, what if people came to my, my face with a camera? Some some people really do find it um, soothing to be able to talk and remember them or to be able to say stop the violence. But, you know, if somebody says no. I should know when to not be pushing that. There are times where you have to kind of ask again. There are times where I have to, well, what do you have to say about this? And chasing down a a politician, please know that doesn't get necessarily any easier, but I know that it's a job. And um, I think one of the biggest things I had to know is when to bring in management. Um, Obviously, you have classes in college, you have internships, but you don't usually have too many... HR nightmares or a coworker that is doing something or even, you know, a story that you don't feel comfortable with. There are times or really shift changes. You know, today I worked 3 a.m. until 1 p.m. Tomorrow I could work um, if I got off at 1 p.m. There are times where sometimes we're short reporters and you need to be back at 2.45 p.m. And it's like, OK, well, I had an hour and 45 minutes off. How am I going to do this? Or, you know, you end up with eight hours off. So that day, you know, you're just learning time management in general, I think was also the biggest thing. My biggest lesson, I think, is time management, even though I thought I was decent at it, getting to work early and really looking up stories so I can be ahead of the game. Even if I looked up stories last night, there's been eight hours that more stories could have had. Um, And relationship happened, but relationships are also huge. And whether you're in public relations or you're in news, or really you're a teacher. I mean, your relationships are really going to be what define. And that's finding your next job, finding your next big scoop, you know. Um, And they shouldn't be viewed that way. And I think, I don't know that I didn't know that, but I think that I knew, I learned even more of like, let me be actually Marvis Herring to these people. A lot of times when I go to stories, I'll just be asking irrelevant questions, you know? So where are you from? Are you from Louisville? Oh, no, you're not. 
yeah, I'm just here first year, moved here from Michigan. It's like, let me see how nervous they are and get a, a bearing there. But also following up after the interview, you know, thank you for meeting and taking time with us today um, because some people definitely don't want to be on camera. And I think those relationships have really led to bigger stories down the road. You know, that person that you interviewed today, a year from now could be a witness to a double shooting or could actually be, you know, going on American Idol and you can get an exclusive interview. You never know. So it's just, I think that thing of being prepared for anything. And that means, you know, thinking ahead, like, you know, packing a lunch. Sometimes you don't have time to run out. You maybe thought you're going to run out and then you don't have a lunch because you've worked through the lunch and now you're grumpy. It's like, what steps can I take to make things a little easier? Um, so you mentioned empathy, just kind of in general towards whoever you're working with. And how would you say that applies to journalists and PRs? Like, how can they connect and grow their relationship? I assume empathy is thrown in there somewhere, trying to yeah. understand. But if you want to explain a little bit about that. In general, I mean, empathy can definitely play in right here. One, I'll start with us because I have a lot to say, obviously, of PR always. But when I was in Michigan, for example, I had a lot of good spectrum PR contacts there. Some of the best PR professionals I've ever worked with. Um but for in general, they sat down with me on days off to ask, you know, how can we get coverage? You know, what are types of stories that you're looking for? So in general, if I got three emails from a Spectrum PR person or the Grand Rapids Art Museum would be a public or perfect thing or like um, UICA. I'm trying to think. I haven't been there in one year and I forgot everything. But if UICA sent me seven emails in one week about an event that I don't care about. I don't really need to email them to say, hey, stop emailing me. You know, it's their job to be promoting this event. It's their job to try to get some news coverage. So it's just, I mean, honestly, I can either respond like, hey, so sorry, um, probably won't be able to cover this. But I may also pass them off like, you know, our feature reporter may have more more of this because I'm probably getting sent to the breaking news. And not to say we don't, don't cover a wide variety of news, but sometimes it's just not relevant. Um, I've had before someone sent me a press release like 10 times about cataracts and how, you know, we have this new surgery where someone can get cataracts surgery and it's the best surgery. And it's like, that's more of a commercial than it is news. And so, but instead of me telling them that and just be like, why are you still emailing me? I might explain, hey, I mean, is this one of a kind in the United States? Is this the only, is this the first ever? Is a blind person going to 2020 Vision? I mean, what is making this newsworthy compared to all of the other news happening in a major city? So I think one thing about empathy is understanding that both sides of this have a job. PR people have a job. We have a job. Sometimes even, you know, public information officers fall into PR. Sometimes they may say, you know, the crash, there was a crash that happened at 4 p.m. Two people were injured, one person in this car, one person in this car. Investigation is ongoing. Now, that may be what we get. Or even let's say it says one person died, one person is still alive. That may be the information we get, but we need to either go to the scene or ask some questions. Because if we just take that at its face, there could have been a drunk police officer in the car that caused the crash that killed someone. And we don't find that out till it's on channel 13 at five and we don't have that story. So I think like, you know, also asking those questions. But for news um, or for PR, I think 
improving that relationship for me is trying to learn how a newsroom works. When I was in um, Grand Rapids, the PRSA, the West Michigan PRSA, I believe is the name of it, the all of the PR professionals had like a speed dating where reporters were invited, PR people were invited. And you had a quick thing of like, hey, I'm the person at Spectrum that handle, handles cancers, women's health, and sleep health. So I don't need to call you when two people are shot. Like I need to call the ERP PR person. And, you know, I wouldn't know that otherwise, but maybe I'm making you mad that every time I'm calling you and you're connecting me to somebody else. Um, But we had all kinds of people there and it was really eye-opening. And for that, I I told them during that event, PR people should always, you know, instead of being offended that your story's not getting covered, think visually, Pitch, pitch a story that I can show on our television that is going to be visual. You know, sometimes we have the best stories, but there's no video and the person involved doesn't want to go on camera. We don't need to do that story, unfortunately. It can be a web story. And also thinking about impact, like before you even send me a press release, think impact. So, you know, if this affects two people or if this is, you know, a crash shut down traffic in a neighborhood of five people, we have, you know, over 500,000 viewers. Unfortunately, like, we're not going to cater to that, you know, Mulberry Lane story. And be flexible. Honestly, I think, like, being flexible, a lot of times I will set up a story with John John Doe, and it's set up for Monday at 11 o'clock. But Monday at 10 o'clock, you know, 25 people are shot at a protest. It's like, unfortunately, I'm going to have to reschedule, and I need to go to that. And sometimes I've had PR people in the past be like, well, we said 1030. This has been set up for weeks. And it's like, yeah, news is news of the day, unfortunately. Like, this is happening. It is a big deal. Or, you know, even the Kentucky Derby just canceled in-person people just in the last day. Like, that's a huge deal. Unfortunately, even if I had a feature story set up that day, like, I need to cover this because there are people with tickets already. This has happened every year for 146 years. Like, I'm thinking impact. Um... But on that same token, for PR people, my biggest recommendation is make it impossible for a reporter to say no. And so I think when you tell people more actual hard examples and that speed dating even in general, or I mean, you don't really need a formal event. Like, you know, when I moved here, I emailed police chiefs, I emailed the hospitals, universities, places that I know will probably have stories so that the first day you meet me, I'm not asking about a deadly shooting. I'm not asking about a scandal at the school. I'm like, hey, I'm Marvis. I just moved here from Grand Rapids. This is my story. This is my fourth job. Boom, boom, boom. Who's the best person to contact? And that's the other part. That's PR job, too, of, hey, who's the best person to contact if I have a food story? Who's the best person to contact if I have somebody available at 8 a.m.? You know, a lot of times we don't have our morning meeting until 930. And people are like, we have an event at 940. And at 920, they're like, hey, are you sending somebody? It's like, hey, we haven't even had our meeting for the day. And if it was huge, we probably would know. But like, we're going to decide our stories here shortly. Um, So I think just working together and also trying to work together to understand that each side is doing their job. No one's just like annoying you with emails or denying you, which I also wrote down on here, like respect denial. How do you balance personal life and work life? I really came into this job knowing that I needed to do a better job of that. So for me, it's, you know, I go to the gym at least two times a week. Um, If I can't pick up a shift, I don't, even if it's my first week, 
I can't be bullied into picking up a shift. Like if I feel exhausted and even sometimes I typically pick up a lot of shifts, but if I'm just exhausted and this is going to be my 12th day working straight, different shift, and I also am going to drive to my mom's house after work, which is five hours. It's like I knowing your limits, defining your limits, journaling, um, reaching out to mentors. You know, when I went to National Association of Black Journalists, their conference last or two years ago, convention two years ago, there was one of my favorite reporters spoke there um, working at a big station in Minneapolis. And she's like, I get a massage once a month. That is one thing that is um, unwavering for me. No matter how busy the month is, I go to Massage Envy. I have a, you know, uh, subscription, but you know, I go do that. When I'm on vacation, I have an away message up and I typically don't go out of my way to check my emails um, and let, except for maybe once a day max. I mean, if I am, um, but just kind of setting guidelines, it's different for everybody. Um, the balance is just being, being authentically you too. How has the field of journalism and PR changed as you've progressed through your career? For me, the way that it has changed as I progress, I think just in general, people are are starting to do exactly what you're doing right now is starting to listen. First off, starting to ask the question, how can we get these stories covered? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Where can we find common ground? Where are we different? You know, and it's not all, you know, one sided. I don't think either side of this is doing anything wrong, but I feel like the competition has really amped up. So, I mean, COVID is a great example because now we're almost always needing a medical professional for a story, whether it be COVID and kids, you know, or schools, you know, schools have really ramped up. And so I think a lot of places have started to include. They know we're stretched so thin and we're covering Louisville like we cover stories two and a half plus hours away. And if I can get a doctor, sometimes if I can get a doctor just in Louisville, that's where most of our viewers are. It's like, what's going to make me drive all the way to Elizabethtown when it's at least a 45 to 50 hour drive out here and I can get the same information over here? So I think a lot of people, though, have started to include video with their press releases, include photos, like even a photo. I mean, one of the big things too, I've noticed that police specifically, I keep bringing up police, but police, schools, they're posting their press releases to social media, the full, all the information you can use with videos, with um, photos, especially for weekend newscasts, we can use that. We used it today for a situation and we can tell that story without even having to come ask you a question. Now we may need to follow up with a question of something that's missing, but even that has gotten better, you know, time, where it happened, you know, is, are there any criminal charges? Is this open to the public? You know, all of it is there. And I think that's pretty cool of like, I mean, journalists are obviously leveraging social media, to a point of Facebook Live and storytelling, thread storytelling on Twitter, um, Instagram stories, you know. And now we're seeing even more of that from the PR side of things that a lot of times, you know, I'm scrolling through uh, my Instagram and I see a lot of times I follow hashtags for Louisville and it's like I see this person now has video we're looking for of that shooting. Let me de message them and ask them if we can use their video and courtesy it. So I think it's moving to a faster pace. Not to say that it wasn't already fast paced, but it's moving to a faster pace because it's PR professionals are busy too. I think 
journalists take that time to sometimes only think like they didn't know that I already have four stories today and I had to go to here and da, 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 da. and it's like well they may have had 20 meetings they may have been working on a project for next week a project for next month this project today co-working with somebody else and had uh, news of the day come in of you know working again working at a hospital where they have to get ready for crisis management and so I think with that in mind PR people are also working smarter not harder to if it's something that really you don't need an interview for this or they'll post it knowing we'll see it online and knowing we'll be interested in an interview and now it's like hey it's Marvis from WLKY and they're like oh how's it going um, I just happened to see, would you have a doctor that could expand on that? Or would you have the president of that company? Because typically the other thing that has progressed is there's not as many PR people stepping in front of the camera, which I think is a good thing. A lot of times, you know, we don't really want the PIO. We want to hear from the police chief or we don't really want the PR person. We want a doctor. You know, we want a professor. We don't want you regurgitating what someone else told you. I'm coming to you for it expertise. And so I think that has really done a lot as well as PR places, firms, you know, they're doing a lot of proactive stuff. So you've obviously already talked a lot about this, but if you want to sum it up, what can PR learn from journalism and journalism from PR? The biggest thing I think PR can learn from journalism is stories, news, ways of covering something in a sense of why should you care? You know, I would never get up on the desk and anchor. I just anchored a three-hour newscast. We would never say um, a, a referendum um, requested proposals for developers. And it's like, first off, some people may not know what referendum is. Like, there is some, you know, there's some new, there's a new push, you know, like there's certain things. If it's a health story, you know, the left clavicle may be able to be, and it's just like, no, let's, not water it down, but let's do it in conversational talk. That's one of my big things of how I report. A lot of people respond to more conversational talking. I use an example of in Peoria, there was a lot of um, homicides one year. And the police officer one time was like, could you just please in the next live hit just say, you can call, you don't have to give your name, you don't have to give your number, you don't have to give your information. It's all anonymous. And... She was like, I just found out a lot of people didn't know what anonymous was. And I did that two days and they got 10 tips on on stories. You can also say that is a very anecdotal story. However, it's worth it. Let's break it down. Like, who cares if it says anonymous or not? And you can say both. And so I think that one of the biggest things for PR to learn from journalists is people-oriented stories or stories that actually affect people, parents, teachers, students, you know. There's a new push that could affect students' bottom line. There's a new push that could mean gas at the pump costs you more instead of a new property tax increase set for the year two. It's like, no, I'm falling asleep right now. And so um, short and punchy, you know, you don't have to send all the information in that first um, thing. And then that way you say, hey, here's three bullet points on the story I'm pitching. Let me know if you want more information. There's way more. It's a super important story that I'm I'm excited about. Not sure if it fits with your viewers, but if you want more. So then now the journalist has to reach back out to you. Now you know there's interest and you can leverage that to your own. Because if you just throw it all out there, then I probably don't even need to really call you. And I may know an, even another PR person that has a more visual opportunity. So I wrote down though, the main thing is like, see what stories are getting covered. Are you watching the news? 
It's like you're asking what can you learn, and it's like a lot of PR people we talk. They're like, "This is I don't even watch the news," and a I hate the excuse of it's always bad news. It's like, well, you don't watch the news, so you wouldn't know that. And we, unfortunately, we fortunately do not do all bad news, and we also are covering the news. So if there's a day where a bunch of bad news happened, it is unfortunate. We do try to balance that out, um, but. Are you watching the news to see what is giving, getting covered? And then go back and see, you know, I sent something similar and be vocal about it. You know, ask, hey, can we get coffee? I've already grabbed coffee before the pandemic, of course, but with several PR professionals that are like, hey, I'm trying to revamp our PR department. What do what kind of stories are you looking for? What would get covered? What would you want? If I were to pitch this story, what would you want? Or would you do this story? And I straight up told her some of them no, some of them yes, if I can have a creative way. And is it including demographics? Like if you're I'm a black male reporter, I think about this all the time. If you're only reporting to a very rich part of town, like um if you have a story that's like People with six-car garages may have to pay more. I don't, I mean, I don't care personally. And most of our demographic isn't going to care. We may post a web story about that. But like, you know, let's think of including all demographics, not in every story, but maybe, you know, even one of the PR professionals that I met with here was like, you know, we want to get more health coverage. We have a specific program for the Hispanic community. I'm like, you know, I feel like we're missing out on a lot of stories that affect the Hispanic community here. Grand Rapids has a big Hispanic community as well as black community, as well as Dutch community. You know, how are we really reaching out to all of them? Um, But as far as like, there are things we also can definitely learn as far as a, I have not ever met a PR person that minded bugging me till the cows came home. And I don't care because that's their job. But then I'm like, you know, I've met reporters that are like, uh, call, or they don't even call, they text. And then they don't get an answer. I'm like, it's been two hours, like, call them back. Especially if they were expecting your call. Um, journalists, I think also being upfront with what you would like. Well, thank you so much for joining us on PR Hangover. I learned a lot. I'm sure our learners or our listeners are going to learn a lot too. So thank you so much. Emma, I have a PR hangover just from how much I was talking. So, (laughs) and it was great to talk with you guys. I know Grand Valley has some of the best PR professionals that come out of it. And I know it will be no different with the people that hopefully are going to graduate with that PR degree or journalism as well. Thanks for listening. Tune in every other Wednesday for a new episode of PR Hangover. Follow us on Twitter at GV underscore PRSSA and visit GVPRSSA.com to get insights on this week's episode.